This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and Damien Collins, Chair of the Joint Select Committee on the Online Safety Bill. And let's talk about that Online Safety Bill. In the Telegraph this week, Fraser, you write that it's going to make Nick Clegg the most powerful man in Britain and that this is not a good thing. Tell us why. On the face of it, this Online Safety Bill doesn't really look controversial. The politicians are saying, look, We basically want to make it an offence for Facebook or Google or YouTube to promote criminality, to promote, for example, self-harm, vile forms of pornography. You know, you can take some pretty gruesome examples and nobody could really argue with the fact that if it would be offence to publish it in a newspaper, it it should be an offence to publish it online too. But what they're doing goes way, way, way further than that. And I do think that the politicians are being rather naive about the unintended consequences of what they're about to do. We are now living in an age of censorship, of automatic algorithm-driven censorship. It's happening already, it's happening to what The Spectator produces. It isn't yet happening to these podcasts, but if we were having this discussion on YouTube, then what would happen is that YouTube would be scanning the audio, it would work out that we're having a conversation on a controversial topic. Now, what's happened to The Spectator in the past is if we were discussing lockdown policies and we had somebody who was questioning lockdown policies, then it would get flagged up by an automatic bot on YouTube and it might be taken down completely or it might be removed from YouTube's recommendations. In other words, hardly anybody would see the content, even if it wasn't deleted. Now, this is a very strange censorship system. And it's happening all the time. There's another forum as well, which um, I find to be the most egregious. Nick Clegg's company, Facebook, didn't like an article which we commissioned from two academics, both experts in their fields, about the efficacy of face masks. This was during lockdown and there was lots of debate as to whether face masks worked or not, whether they should be compulsory or not. So we had two academics to have an in-depth look at the evidence. Now, they were unpersuaded by that evidence and Facebook disliked it so much. They slapped a label on it saying false information. It wasn't just that. Um, Under the Facebook system, if you promote an article which is deemed to be false information, you can get punished. Then everything which you as a publisher produces can then get hidden from Facebook's recommendation. Then all of a sudden it doesn't get promoted. Now, people might think that Facebook doesn't have much of a hold over the news. That's not true. Facebook is now Britain's number one source of news after the broadcasters. An incredible number of people, more people get their news from Facebook than get it from any single newspaper, for example. And also you might think, well, I just get the Facebook news that I want because I I follow who I follow. I like certain news organisations. But that's not true either. What you see is a selection of stories selected for you by these algorithms. Now, if the algorithms find something that they don't like, they will conceal it from you. They will promote what they do like. So already, Facebook and the likes of Nick Clegg have got incredible power to curate the news which we see. Power which a Murdoch, a Hearst, a Beaverbrook, none of them had anything like the power which big tech has now over what your average person will see if they get their news digitally. 
This is a huge tool. The only thing that can make it scarier than what it is, is if this tool is aligned by government. And government is itching, absolutely itching, to get its hands on this tool. It's always done in the name of um, promoters to stop terrible things from going online. But the problem with this online safety bill is that it introduces a new test, legal but harmful, so if content is regarded as harmful, a very, very vague word, then the bots will cut it out. I mean, our articles against um, lockdown policy aren't being censored because Silicon Valley cares either way about it. It wants to stay on the right side of the government regulators. So the chill factor is happening already. It's censoring news already. It's constraining what is promoted and what isn't promoted already. And if this test is enhanced, then what would be happening is that the government would be empowering the Silicon Valley giants it wants to bring to heel right now. So Damien's very well-intentioned legislation would achieve the opposite of what he thinks he would doing. He would basically be licensing Facebook, YouTube, Google, licensing them as the censors of what we do and do not read online. And I'm afraid to say the politicians are rather naive and don't quite realise the power of what they're about to do, albeit unwittingly. Damien, you've been working closely on, on this bill. What do you say to that? Well, I hope I can give some reassurance to, to Fraser on, on, on some important points. Firstly, obviously, for news organisations, there is an exemption from the online safety bill. So there is no requirement for the platforms or the regulators to take any action at all against news publishers because there are existing legitimate uh, lines of complaint to news organisations that people can already follow. Fraser's right in saying that what people see on social media is content that's chosen for them rather than content they've searched for. But actually, I don't think that's necessarily designed to promote one particular view or another. It is entirely engagement based, which is why the social media companies gather so much data about their users, because they want to feed them the content that will keep them engaged and keep them online. And they should be held responsible for those decisions. So it's extraordinary that if you look at a, an offence like fraud, you can have a known fraud that is being perpetrated by a criminal organisation spreading messages or even running ads on Facebook. And at the moment, there's no requirement that Facebook shouldn't accept those ads and no requirement that they should remove that content when it's seen. If you look at the you know, racist abuse directed at England footballers after the final of the European Championships, for which some people have been prosecuted under existing race-hate legislation, the companies woefully failed in identifying and mitigating or removing that content at the time and they allowed this pylon to happen. So really what the online safety bill is looking to do is take existing offences in law and apply them online. For some of those offences, you don't need very much interpretation. It's really clear what uh, terrorist content is. It's really clear what child abuse is. But there are other offences like race hate, like fraud, like, like glamorising and encouraging self-harm, like cyber flashing or sending flashing images to somebody with epilepsy. And too often in the past, the law takes the view that the offence has been caused by the individual that has posted that content or targeted to somebody, that there's no real liability for Facebook or YouTube or any other platform. And what the online safety bill looks to say is something is illegal offline. If Parliament and our courts have legislated and interpreted law and imply it offline, then it should be regulated online. And we should set, we should set regulatory standards for the companies to follow in removing that content. And so I think I take the view it's not what we're looking to do is not saying what goes online is determined by the people in Silicon Valley writing the terms of service. For people in the UK, it's determined by our laws and a regulator we've empowered to impose those laws online and set minimum standards for the companies to follow. Now, in the Joint Committee report, we also said there should be 
in addition to the protection for news journalism, there should be a protection as well for freedom of speech. So if the regulator feels that the companies are removing perfectly legitimate speech for no good reason, then they could take an intervention on them for that. So it works not just for removing too much, not removing enough, it could work for removing too much as well. And these are these are really important decisions. I think it, we do need to set these minimum standards. Otherwise, the sort of abuse and dehumanising speech that's become common on many social media platforms will will get a lot worse. And I think we have to we have to intervene there. There is another point as well, which I think Fraser has raised quite rightly, which is about our news publishers treated fairly. There is a competition argument there to say there there seems to be some biases in the system where some news publishers get a better crack on social media than others do. And I think in the impending competition legislation, that's something we have to look at there as well. But Damien, what I wonder is whether you guys are being a little bit naive in this. I mean, you say you don't intend to hit publications like The Spectator. You don't intend to send a chill factor that stops um, publications from promoting minority views. But that's happening already. It's happening every single day. It's happening to articles that we do right now. And the rule of unintended consequences is one that Parliament unfailingly passes. There's nothing, as far as I can work out, in the online safety bill that tries to do anything about the problem of bot censorship, which is already pretty extensive in our society. And I wonder if that's because this online safety bill has been going on for so long. It's about four years since it started. And what we've seen during those four years is the emergence of artificial intelligence, of these censorship bots. It's a problem which I wonder if politicians understand. And lack of understanding the problem risks making that problem a lot worse. Because as far as I can work out, there is nothing at all to address the problems that that I've just mentioned. In the report, we recommend that the exemption for news media should be extended so that there is a requirement that news content is carried by the platforms, that they can't remove it, unless it's, there's something in it which is clearly criminal. But I don't believe any news organisation would put their name to content like that. So it goes beyond us saying they don't have to consider the online safety bill. We're saying that they shouldn't be able to remove legitimate journalism produced by news organisations for which there are existing channels of complaint. So I think if the government accepts that recommendation, that would, that would address that point. Right, David, can I come in there? You use the word remove. Now, again, this comes down to my concern of politicians being a bit behind the curve here. We're not talking about content being removed necessarily. Let's take our YouTube channel. Sure, they did once remove Lionel Shriver when she was reading out her column on the video because that was seen to be, I think they used the word disinformation, but we're never told what the disinformation is. But there are other tools at their disposal rather than removing. What YouTube can do, for example, is what they call demonetize. So if there is somebody discussing a topic that YouTube don't like, they can simply flick a switch, and that means you won't get any advertising money from that particular section. And then there's another thing as well where they derate you, where you simply can't be found on the YouTube search algorithm. So this is quite a sophisticated form of censorship coming on, and you guys are still talking, it seems to me, in a rather old-fashioned, whether something is promoted or censored. I mean, right now the problem is a lot more subtle, and the regulation, I don't think, is anywhere near as subtle. Well, I mean, firstly, I mean, we absolutely understand the issue around algorithmic preference, which you've talked about. And we talk about that a lot in the, the report, which is the Joint Committee report, 60,000 words long, and pretty, pretty goes into a lot of detail on a lot of these different issues. I think what you've raised, though, is, is something that in the time we had as a committee to consider the online safety bill, I think we didn't have time to do because I think it's, it's a separate piece of legislation. And I think we'll come very fast on the heels of the online safety bill. And that is the legislation to empower the, the new digital markets unit, because I know the Daily Mail have taken done a lot of extensive work looking at this problem themselves as well, which is to say, actually, is it anti-competitive for companies like Google or Facebook or YouTube to actually treat 
businesses, news publishers differently uh, to give some a lot of exposure and others, as you say, not it's not a question of just of removal of content, but they de-preference them in terms of their algorithmic ranking. They're less likely to promote that content to other users and they can bury it effectively. So if that is denying a legitimate publisher fair access to potential readers in their market, that could be seen as anti-competitive practice. I certainly think it should be looked at as that way. And I certainly think that the impending competition legislation should look at it in that way as well. So I mean, I would say that, that point hasn't been forgotten. I think it's a, it's a separate piece of legislation, but just as important in its own way. Now, look at the language we're now using. I mean, Damien, you're saying that newspapers, magazines will be protected. But why should publications be protected, but the average person not protected? Why should government decide who's got freedom of speech and who should not have freedom of speech? Already, we're getting into a pretty dark place. Parliament simply shouldn't have the power to say, we like these publications because they're part of the establishment. But however, the average freelance journalist, your average citizen, they will be left to whatever restrictions you intend to inflict on them with your online harms bill. I mean, let's think about um, the Wuhan lab leak theory. You might remember that Facebook decided that this theory was was fake news and they took down anybody who was trying to investigate that theory. It was individual researchers who kept going and who brought this to the world's attention. It now looks probable, not certain, but probable that the coronavirus emerged from a Wuhan lab. Now, you were talking about a system where under your bill, Facebook would decide that the Wuhan lab leak theory was harmful. A very vague word, but obviously in this case, Facebook decided it was harmful. And you'd be saying, rather than not censoring these theories, Facebook would have a duty to censor theories. But most worryingly of all, it's Facebook that decides what to censor and what not to censor, what was harmful and what isn't harmful. So your bill would give Facebook that power. I suspect Facebook should not have that power, and yet you're about to give it that power. I mean, you say that newspapers, magazines would be exempt. So in that case, what you're already proposing, already, is a kind of apartheid where freedom of speech would be granted to publishers, but not your average person. In, in what way is that a step forward? Well, if you look at the way publishers are described within the legislation, it's largely on the basis they're easily identifiable. You know, so they have... They have offices they work out of. They have named editors. They have people that have legal liability and responsibility for what they produce. And that is uh, unlike the, the situation for many other people on social media who may not even be using their real identities when they post content. So I think that's why there, there should be an exemption for news organisations because they put their name to what they do and they can be challenged in law for it. The issue with a lot of what's on social media is who's responsible for it. The companies really based on the American legal system pretend that they have no liability for what people produce. They're just a user to use the platform. But as you said, they take many very active decisions around content. On the whole, I, I don't think the, the, the bulk of the platform's work is principally to promote or delist certain types of political speech. I think they they basically run on an engagement model. If you're interested in conspiracy theories around the vaccine, you will see a lot more of them, you know, because the algorithm is a purely commercial tool that is there to keep you engaged for as long as possible, because the more you're there, the more money they make from you. And really, the online safety bill is making the companies responsible for the decisions that they make. They do have a kind of editorial and curatorial power, and that where that is driving content that the law clearly establishes is, is harmful and illegal, then they should be regulated for that. They should face consequences for allowing things to happen that they could have mitigated or removed. Damien, I just wondered on that. I mean, obviously, when you're looking at the online harms bill, there's there's illegal, but there's also, you know, a bucket which is for things that are legal, but harmful when they're looked at in a, in a digital environment. Lots of people are, you know, talking about them or doing them. 
And I just wondered on the point about you know these tech companies, do you accept that there is a risk it creates, you know, a big incentive for them to over censor so as to avoid the risk of, you know, falling foul of this or being accused of not doing enough? Well, I mean, my experience, they tend to do the minimum rather than overcompensate. And, and that's why we need to create these standards. But the, the online safety bill is, is really based on taking existing offences in law and creating a regulatory framework for them online. So if that has a chilling effect on racism, if that has a chilling effect on misogyny, if that has a chilling effect on fraud, then I think we should welcome that. But, but because the enforcement is based around existing offences, the government now said it wants to write those offences onto the face of the bill so it's really clear what's in scope, it's really clear what the regulator expects the companies to do. I think that is a way of trying to mitigate the, the terrible spread of you know, hate speech, dehumanising speech, you know, content that is leading teenage girls by the hand to self-harm and suicide, and recognising the companies have a responsibility to act. And you have to say, if we did nothing about this... What will the world be like in a few years' time? As Fraser's rightly said, we've been talking about this for four or five years. I would say in that time, these problems have got a lot worse. So there's no evidence that the companies can see what's coming, they can see what the government's thinking about, and they're trying to preempt it. They're doing nowhere near enough to resolve these issues. And if we do nothing, we have to expect these problems will get worse. And I don't think that's, we can tolerate that. Fraser, do you think this is going to face a lot of criticism and opposition in the Commons when it is brought forward? There are lots of Tory MPs who are worried about on freedom of speech issues. To be honest, this is my great concern. And politicians don't care much about free speech. Sure, they say that they do. But we saw after the Leveson reports, when the coalition government tried to have state regulation of the press, ending 300 years of press freedom, every single politician in the House of Commons almost voted in favour. Tory, Lib Dem, SNP, Labour. I think there were 12, maybe 15 politicians who didn't vote for state regulation, but the rest of them did. They've always been itching to have the press in their toolkit. And they failed. Free speech rules, free speech traditions has meant that politicians have not been able to control the printed press. But now the digital press comes along and they get the chance to control it, to decide to set a regulatory framework in the way they completely failed after generations of trying over the printed press. That's because the printed press will fight like tigers for their freedom. The digital press really couldn't care about press freedom. They want to, they want to make money selling adverts to people who've been watching Baby Shark videos. I mean, Facebook, YouTube, they, they don't have the kind of the instinctive feel for press freedom that newspapers do, even though they've got way more power now over the news than any newspaper. So I would not trust politicians to regulate the media, print or digital, any more than I would trust foxes to regulate a chicken coop. And that's exactly what's happening here. Now, Damien, of course, he's giving us examples of what he'd like to ban self-harm, etc. But Damien himself will have noticed that Nadine Doris, who um, as culture secretary is in charge of this online safety bill, she's expanding her definition of what would not be allowed to be included. Now, she's already saying that jokes by Jimmy Carr, what Jimmy Carr said about gypsies in some stand-up comedy show broadcast on Netflix, would fall foul of that. She said she's looking at measures to crack down on Netflix. So we've seen that it doesn't take very long when you introduce these laws for them to move away from out-and-out criminality to the sketches of stand-up comedians. And that is the problem. Now, I wonder what does Damien think about Jimmy Carr's gypsy joke? Is that something he thinks should fall foul of new regulations? Because where is the line drawn? 
that's why it's so dangerous to, to introduce what's being done in this bill. Because you can bet that Silicon Valley, when it's instructing its censorship bots over to take out what's harmful, they will take a maximalist view of what is harmful. And when you've got politicians talking about outlawing comedy shows on Netflix, then this online safety bill has already got way out of control, and that's before it's even been passed by Parliament. Damon, did you, do you have a view on the Jimmy Carr example that Fraser mentioned? So, yeah, I do. It's a slightly different take on it, which is, I mean, firstly, it's not in scope of the legislation because it's not a user-to-user service, but we do regulate that sort of speech in broadcasting. You know, so Ofcom, as the broadcasting regulator, would have taken the view would have taken a view on whether that was in breach of the broadcasting code. And I think given we live in a world now where many people regard Netflix as just as much television as the BBC or ITV, in many ways they may watch a lot more Netflix than they watch of those channels. Some of those channels are regulated by Ofcom and others aren't. And I think there is a legitimate question as to whether there should be more consistency and whether something that you know, would fall foul of the broadcasting code should exist on, on Netflix or you know, if it is there should, should come with some warnings attached. But I think if it, if it couldn't have been broadcast on British television... I have a question whether it should have been on Netflix accessible to a British audience. I think that is an entirely legitimate debate that we assess it based on the existing broadcasting code. I think we, everyone would agree we have a pretty vibrant debate on British television, and yet that is regulated by Ofcom. And I think if there's a legitimate debate to be had now about whether services like, you know, video on demand services like Netflix should also come under the broadcasting code. So we can see the overall trajectory of this then. Wider still and wider are the bounds of censorship being set. And Silicon Valley simply won't care about this. Newspapers, magazines, we care very, very much about free speech. That's why we resisted the Leveson regulations so much. But Silicon Valley will think, if in doubt, cut it out. If in doubt, censor. Nothing is stopping them doing it right now. It's happening every single day. And nothing in this online safety bill will stop them doing it in the future. So already... Not only will you get less comedy, you'll get less medical journalism. The British Medical Journal has pointed out how dangerous it is that Facebook is slapping these false information labels and scientists having legitimate discussions. Now, of course, that's not what Damien intended, but this is exactly what his bill will do. And I'm not talking about a hypothetical. It's happening right now. Nothing his bill will do will stop this. In fact, what his bill will do is make all of this a lot worse. So to answer your question, Katie, when this bill was first introduced to Parliament by Oliver Dowden, not a single politician raised free speech concerns. The only thing that said in Parliament then was about what more you could do to crack down even further. Nobody is talking up for free, speaking up for free speech here. Nobody is thinking of the implications. There will be a cross-party consensus that it is good for politicians to control the media. I take the opposite view. And right now we're seeing a case study of why it is so incredibly dangerous to give politicians any control at all over what is said in a free society. I, I, think, I think your concerns over the impact this will have on journalism, I, I don't think are warranted. I, think, I don't dismiss the points you've raised about the way in which the platforms you know, influence what people see and the, the biases in their systems that, that do that and favour some publishers over others. But I do think that is rightly kept out of the online safety bill. And I think we, we've got to, I think we'd all agree that there is, you know, content that we've established in law that is illegal, where actions are taken into courts against people that do that. And the only reason it's not enforced online is we, we can't get to the people that are doing it easily. And I think what the bill is looking to do is create a regime that makes sure that the laws we've created for ourselves are are applied online and that the tech companies have some liability and responsibility. And I think, you know, I think that is the right thing to do. I really do fear that if we don't do that, 
then these problems will get a lot worse. And the only bias the companies really have is making money. The reason they resist this is they've been asked to invest more money in moderation, which is what they'll have to do to comply, be more transparent with an independent regulator, which they don't want to do and don't do at all anywhere in the world, and be held liable. And, and that's why they're so resistant to it. And if it was easy for them to, to do this themselves, they would have done it, but they won't. That's why we have to legislate, in my view. Well, perhaps we can revisit this when the bill comes to the House and bring the two of you together once again to see where we're at at that point. <laughs> Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Damien. Thank you.